Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. And the day today has been devoted to that concept. This morning, we discussed what it means for something to be inspiring. The word inspire or the word inspiring, this is an emotional word. It, it evicts an emotional response. It causes one to be excited. It causes one to, to make choices. I want to do good. I want to do better. I want to do more. And we notice that Paul was an inspirer. He caused that within people. And so when we talk about being inspired, we're talking about an emotional upheaval of sorts that drives me and compels me to greater and better service. The word inspiration, as the Bible uses it, is not that word at all. In fact, it is a, a rational word. And it produces a, an intellectual response. When we talk about something being inspired, we're looking at that which is by fact given by inspiration. What is inspiration? Inspiration is inspiration is God breathed in our text for tonight. All scripture God breathed is profitable. That's what the text says. So the word inspiration really is the word God breathed. The word for I am inspired is that which comes from the breath of someone else that motivates us to move forward. I'll have you turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, and we'll be there in just a few moments. But first... We need to understand that oftentimes, or it is very true, that people deny the concept of Bible inspiration. I wrote a paper at, when I was going through graduate school at what used to be the Lexington Theological Seminary. I wrote a paper on inspiration and the inerrancy of Scripture. I did that on purpose because it was an option, because they don't believe in the inspiration of Scripture fully. Dr. Henry's son, in fact, wrote in my paper in some of his comments, he asked this question from something that I had written in the paper. He said, when it says that God tells, when God tells the truth, are you saying that he never makes a mistake? He really believed that God made mistakes. And therefore, because he makes mistakes, the Bible could have errors in it. And he is teaching the Bible classes in a Bible school at the time, Bible-based school, Lexington Theological Seminary. Now you can go to the slide that you had there. I didn't know if maybe you would be able or if I would be able to see these words, so I brought this article with me. I want to point out a few things. A number of years ago, 1993 in fact, I found this article in a local uh, Lexington uh, Herald newspaper. 
And there's the title. Scholars, 80% of Jesus' words were ghost-written. And then I've highlighted a few places, if you can see them, uh, or I'm going to read those particular uh, lines to you. Notice these things from the article. Jesus was a man of very few words. Well, I know John closed his gospel by saying if everything that Jesus did could have been written, I suppose not even all the books in the world could contain them. I don't think Jesus was a man of few words. Paragraph number two. They said, Jesus probably did not say about 80% of the words attributed to him in the gospel accounts. Interesting. Probably. The scholars avoid drawing conclusions about the two most basic Christian beliefs that Jesus uh, was God's son and rose from the dead. Why? Why did they decide not to talk about those two fundamental ideas. If 80% of what Jesus said, he really didn't say in Scripture, and when he talked about those things, how do we know that it was real? How do we know he said it? Why did they choose not to do that? Continuing, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah and did not predict the end of the world. I'll just leave these with you to assess what you think about them. But this is what they said. Jesus probably did share a symbolic last meal with his disciples just before his death. But Jesus' words in the Bible comparing himself to the bread and wine that he passed around the table probably were written by followers after his death. The Lord's Prayer, which the Bible says Jesus composed himself, also was compiled by Christians after his death. (laughs) Interesting. This article goes on to say they disconnected some of Jesus' words because versions disagree. Other things appear to be well-meaning additions by church leaders after his death. Some were eliminated because they didn't fit properly into the chronology of Jesus' life. What the Jesus seminar said Jesus probably did not say include the words, I am the way, the truth, the life. And things Jesus almost certainly said, love your enemies. Here's my question. Here are a group of people who claim to be scholars. Scholars of research and study. And this scholarly article said over and over, probably 80%, probably. Who is deciding that? Who is it that makes the decision about what Jesus said or didn't say? Well, obviously, these must be inspired men. God probably told them what 80% Jesus didn't say. Is that what some people believe? We have a choice. We can either believe the inspired word of God because the evidence says so, 
Oh, we can believe these men in the Jesus Scholar Conference, but you can't have both. Let's go to our text of 2 Timothy 3. The purpose tonight is not to provide piece of evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence for the inspiration of Scripture. There are plenty of sources where you can go and find those. Now, I'll give you some at the end. But I want us to see the concept of inspiration. If, if a person is going to believe in the inspiration of the Bible, what are you then saying? Let's start in verse number 14. He says, and this is the text that was read, he is telling us here, I want us to consider the foundation the powerful foundation of inspiration. The powerful foundation of inspiration. Look at these words. Continue in these things. This foundation of inspiration is so powerful that you can remain there. That's the word in the original. You can remain there. Not like things that fade away over time. Not like things that die. Not like things that change. He says you can continue. You can remain there. Remain where? In the things that you have learned. That word learned is an interesting word. It is the word mathes. It is the word from which we get our word math, mathematics. In other words, it is a scientifically driven word. It is a factual word. It is something that I can specify and quantify and I can see the evidence. These are the things you have learned and been assured of them. The word assured means that I see the evidence. That's what the assured is. It's one of the words for knowledge. And it is a word that means I can see it. Not in my mind only, but I can put my hands on it. I can look at the evidence that is presented. And it is physical evidence. It is real evidence. You can know it. You can be assured of it. Because the facts support it. Knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, this foundational, this powerful foundation of the Word of God, the inspiration, the idea that the Bible is inspired. If I believe the Bible is inspired of God, and if you are going to believe that the Bible is inspired of God, then here is what you're saying. You are saying, and I am saying, that there is evidence. There are facts. There are things that allow me to build a foundation upon which I then can continue to build what I understand my life should be. I am building on a foundation. And therefore, you can stand and continue and remain 
in them. Number two, I want you to see, consider, the foundational power of inspiration. Now, what I mean by that is, I want you to notice what he says in verse 15. He says, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. From childhood, you have known. Paul was writing to Timothy. And if you remember, uh, back in the first chapter, he said, I know the faith that you have. It came to you from your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. You from childhood were taught these things. The foundational power of the concept of inspiration is that we can train children to accept and believe the foundational principle of the inspiration of the Word of God. It gives them something to stand on. It gives them something to hold on to. It gives them confidence and assurance that goes through their lives. And we need to teach it in a foundational way from the beginning. That's why I love the stories that I hear of our children in Bible class. Even down there in that infant's class where they take a Bible and put it in front of those little ones. And as they pass it from child to sh child, they take their hands and put the hand on the Bible. And over and over, the whole time they're in that class, they are repeating the idea, this is the Bible, the Word of God. It is foundational to our lives. The idea of inspiration is foundational to us. It is at the very core of who we are. If this is not true, if the inspiration of Scripture is not true, then we have no hope in anything outside of this world. There is nothing else. The Bible teaches us gives us foundational grounding because it is for us to learn about salvation, which comes to us through faith. Faith is a teaching proposition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11 in verse 1. Faith is built on evidence. Our faith comes because of the evidence that leads us to accept something. Faith is not a blindness. Faith is not a jumping into the dark. Faith is moving forward into the present or into the future, that is, because of what we know to have been true in the past. And faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and 17. But if I can't trust that word of God to have come from God, then how can I have faith in what that word of God teaches? It is a foundational part of a powerful Christian life. Number three, in verse 16, 
Now we'll notice. The powerful foundation that we have because of inspiration. The powerful foundation that you can have because of inspiration. The powerful foundation for life that any person can have because of the idea of inspiration. Notice verse 16. All scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable. That is, it's useful. You can do something with it. It produces something. Profit is that which is gained from the work or the effort or the investment of something else. When you invest money over here and you make money on that money, you have made a profit. When you invest time into study and understanding, you profit from the study. God's Word says... Do you want to have something that will be useful for your life? Here it is. Accept the concept of the inspiration of Scripture because you can use it. Notice, for doctrine, everything that you can teach and believe is based on inspiration. For reproof, you can, in fact, Stand up and defend what others say that's wrong because the Bible is inspired. You can correct. When someone goes off course, you can use the inspired word to bring them back. It is profitable for instruction. Telling us how to know what it means to be right before God. Everyone wants to be right. There's a confidence, an assurance, a peace that comes from knowing you're right. And those of us who believe in the inspiration of Scripture have a peace and a confidence that sustains us knowing that we are right. It is a way by its profitableness to give a person a perfect life, a complete life before God. Because in so doing, he is fully equipped for everything that God wants him to do. Isn't it great to know that when you accept the inspiration of Scripture and you let it be the guide for your life, you have at your disposal everything you need to do what you are supposed to do. I said it and I hear other students say it. I go to school and I participate in all this education, all this learning, and um, will I ever use it? <laughs> Am I really going to use this? Is this really? Yes, because the idea of education is useful. But how many people leave the educational process with absolutely everything they need to face what is coming. Sometimes you have enough, but you don't have everything until you experience some things. The Bible says, by using what is taught and by seeing how others in Scripture have used them and practiced them, 
and to see the outcomes of their lives, you have everything right here that you need to be what God wants you to be. You see, the difference between inspiring and inspirational is simply the difference between an emotion and an intellectual concept. A person who is inspired is emotional and driven because of this other person, and it can fade away over time. But the idea of inspiration is a fact. It is simply a concept. It says this is true. It is foundational. It is a powerful foundational foundation for every single life. That's what inspiration is. Like I said, I don't want to spend just one piece of evidence after another over and over and over. Because there are plenty of places, in fact, here in this building, we have material out that you can have that summarizes so many of these things that you can search for on your own. But I want to give you two or three. The first one you can put up there, Herbert W. Spencer from 1820 to 1903, came up with this idea that has been accepted by science in general. And he said, there are five basic principles to science. These are the five things that science investigates and uses and understands. This summarizes what science is. And he said, science is based on time, force, action, space, and matter. And the very first words of Scripture give us those five. In the beginning time, God force created action, the heavens, space, and the earth matter. Isn't it interesting that in the very first words of the inspired word of God, God gave us the underpinnings of a rational acceptance of facts that later would be verified, discovered by man in the scientific field millennia after it was written by God. The Bible is inspired of God. And I can know and I can use and I can say, this is a foundation that I can build on. And I can plant my feet here because I know it is true. Number two, I want you to look at Ezekiel chapter 26. I'm not going to spend all the time that we could. This is one of the more powerful things. This passage is a passage about the city of Tyre. God made a prediction about that city. If you go ahead, uh, Chris, and put up that picture, I want you to look at this while I show you what happens in the book of Ezekiel. In this passage, God, verse 3, said, Many nations are going to come against you, verse 3. 
In verse 4, they'll destroy the walls, tear down the towers, scrape the dust from her, and make her like the top of a rock. God said when he tears down through those enemies, that city will be leveled. It'll be a place for spreading nets, verse 5. And the daughter villages in the fields will be slain by the sword. It'll be a widespread catastrophe from those that claim Tyre as their place. In fact, it will begin when Nebuchadnezzar comes up against you in verse 7. And he will then, in verse uh, 9, he'll tear down the walls and bring axes to knock down all the towers. And because of the abundance of horses, the dust will cover you. The walls will shake. Wagons and chariots uh, will enter your gates. The hooves of horses will trample your streets and slay your people by the sword and your strong pillars will fall to the ground. Verse 12, they'll plunder your riches. They'll break down your walls. Now notice this passage. They'll break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses. They will lay your stones, your timber, and your soil in the midst of the waters in the midst of the waters if you look at that picture here is the city of Tyre originally the part on the left was an island off the coast of Syria to the right was the mainland for 2,000 plus years the people lived on the mainland, and when there was trouble, they were people who had learned uh, boating. In fact, they helped bring uh, timbers to build the temple that Solomon built. These people would go out to the island if there was trouble. And because of the distance between the land and the island, no one could get to them, and they survived for 2,000 plus years. They say that there was such a, uh, a conglomeration of wind and water and land that the waves were terrible between the island and the mainland. But with God, when he said that this is going to happen, your city is going to be destroyed. Your city is going to fail. And how are they going to get to you? They never have been able to before. No military had ever used anything like this before. It's the first time in wartime that this was ever done. But the conqueror, the conqueror took the scraps of the city of Tyre that were on the mainland and pushed them into the water. And he did it over a period of time so that when he did, he then created a bridge from the land, mainland, to the island to conquer the city. And now, that bridge that he built is still right there. God said, long before it ever happened, long before it ever happened, God said, your city is going to be destroyed this way. And there it is. A third thing I call to your mind 
In all the archaeological evidence that has ever been discovered, not one single piece has ever discredited anything in Scripture. Not one. In fact, there are archaeologists who have become believers because they accepted the things. A man by the name of William Ramsey was a man who didn't believe in the authority of Scripture. And in order to disprove it, he decided he's going to take the geological, the geographical notations in the book of Luke, and he's going to follow his path to prove that the Bible made errors. And as William Ramsey began an unbeliever, when he finished the journey of Luke, he was a believer and ended up writing, I believe it was an eight or nine volume set proving various things about Scripture. Nothing in archaeology has ever discredited anything from the Bible. My favorite, a final thing, concerns the skeptic, Voltaire. Voltaire, one month after the writing of our Declaration of Independence used his printing press and said he was printing materials advocating that we distrust Scripture. And he held up a Bible in front of a group and he said, 100 years from now, the Bible will be forgotten. Largely, he was thinking, because of his own work. It is fascinating, <laughs> fascinating that the Geneva Bible Society on the death of Voltaire bought his printing press and used it to print Bibles. Don't tell me that God is not active. Don't tell me that God is not involved. And don't tell me that the Bible is not inspired. Now, I'm not talking about the versions of Scripture being inspired. I'm talking about the message of Scripture being inspired. Someone might ask, what about all the versions? Let me suggest this. The message found in all of the versions when compiled is the message of God. For where versions differ and even contradict, the majority of versions compiling everything together always comes out. You can trust that that's what God wrote. A final thing I want to say on inspiration is simply this about those versions. If you believe that God wrote the Bible, he inspired it, then you have to believe, don't you? that he would protect it, protect it down through the years so that everybody could hear it. I believe that. I think you do too. Let us understand the inspiration of Scripture. Certainly. There are ways to be inspired by the Bible. I'm not denying that. But what's more important? 
to know that it is written, God breathed, inspired of God. And if you're reading the genealogical records and you don't get excited, that's okay. And when you're reading the symbolic and figurative language of the prophets and the revelation and you just don't get motivated, that's okay. But just because you're not inspired doesn't mean that the writing itself was not inspired. We believe in the inspiration of the Word of God. This is why we do what we do. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.